0: I'll invite you to open up your Bible with me to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to finish up our sermon series today, entitled Church Up. This is the last letter written by the Lord Jesus to the churches of Asia Minor, written to the church of Laodicea. Uh, We translate that word, Laodicea, in Greek it's Laodicea. Where do I go, there I am, I'm back now. Can you hear me now? Maybe if I stand over here a little bit. In Greek, the word is Laodicea, uh, which we say Laodicea, and that's what I'm going to that's the transliteration used today because that's what we've traditionally understood. this church, uh, Laodicea. And this church is significant because what it does is it kind of encompasses all of the churches, of Asia Minor, and John goes kind of in a circuit around with these letters to the churches around Asia Minor minor, and kind of lands at Laodicea, so it's almost like this church really just kind of encompass, encompasses all of the churches of that day, and truly, the church in America is much, much like the Laodicean church. It's kind of post christian And we live in a post-Christian world today. We live in a post-Christian society here in America where we have the remnants of Christianity, but many people aren't Christian. We have the the relics of Christianity, but many people don't understand what they mean. And they've forgotten the Bible. You know, I've I've read recently that the, the generation that's coming up right now, the Gen Z generation, is the least biblically knowledgeable literate of any generation in American history and not only that they are they're not attending church they don't want to go to church they want to have nothing to do with that now they are very spiritual they have ideas about spirituality and spiritual things but not biblical ideas and that generation is under t- under attack by the devil and his schemes like no generation ever before. The Lord is coming soon and the devil knows it. And he's working overtime to affect the generation that we live in today. And so before we begin reading in the book of Revelation, I want us to hear the character of Christ from this passage and what the Bible says about who Jesus is. Verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen. The word amen there means truth or the essence of truth. When somebody says amen, what they're saying is, I agree with that. That's the truth. I, I know that it's right. And so this church needs to hear that Jesus is the amen, and they need to affirm who Jesus is. They need to affirm the truth about Jesus in a world that denies who Jesus is. And so we need to agree with that, that he is who he says he is. We need to say amen to the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the reason why we offer our amen to God for his glory. And so, not only that, he's a faithful and true witness. Jesus was the messenger of truth and the ultimate truth of God's love for us. He came and told people about who God is and and how God loves us so much that he would send his one and only son into the world to die for us. And then, the beginning of God's creation. In other words... Knowing who Jesus is is foundational to understanding the world around us. Scientists that begin from the point of, of, well, everything just came to be by a big bang or evolution exists. When they begin from that point, guess where they end up? They end up at that point. Meaninglessness. But those of us who understand that the world was created by a God who's intelligent and a God who designed the universe, well, we begin at that point and we arrive at the truth. And it is that that God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. The word means source or originator or ruler or first cause when we say the beginning. He's the key of creation. When God spoke, let there be light, the voice that echoed throughout the expanse was the voice of Jesus. John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, this is at the absolute truth of God. But this church, the Laodicean church, had forgotten. And because they had forgotten, they had become complacent. They had slipped off into complacent Christianity, casual. I'll I'll take my coffee with uh, two creams and two sugars and a shot of Jesus in the morning. Indifferent towards sin, comfortable in their worship. Man, I would just stop here for just a second and say this, and this is the only thing I'll say about this today. Our worship time is not about making you or me comfortable. It's about giving glory to God. They had grown apathetic and unconcerned about their mission. And because of this complacent attitude about their Christianity, they became useless. And we're going to see that in the passage. So why don't you stand with me now? We'll pick up in verse 15. So stand with me. Verse 15, it says, the Lord Jesus says to the church, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm... And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray together. Father, now we pray that as we have ears to hear, Lord, may we listen to what the Spirit has to say to our hearts. And then... May everything that we have follow in obedience to what we have heard. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So first you hear the complaint against the church. The Lord Jesus says, that is the wrong biblical truth. I hope that it didn't mess up the whole thing whenever I uploaded this morning. The, The biblical truth is if you give God your passion... He will give you purpose. And that's what I want you to hear. Now we can go back to that biblical truth because I do want to hit that one. Nominal Christianity makes God sick. And when you think about that, complacent Christianity, nominal Christianity, just going through the motions of Christianity, it makes God sick. Now this is the complaint that he has against the church. He says you are neither hot nor cold. You're neither cold nor hot. Hot refers Medicinal springs of Hierapolis that were north of the city, and where that water was piped in to Laodicea. In that place, up higher elevation, there were hot springs that came up out of the ground, and people could go and sit in those hot springs, and I don't know, boil themselves. But it made it made them feel good. It was it was nice and refreshing, and. Uh, Some believe that they had medicinal properties where if you had ailments like back pain or arthritis, that you could get in those springs and it would cure you. And then he says you're not cold either. You're neither cold nor hot. And the cold refers to the cold water streams of Colossae. And And if you could go to Colossae even today, there's these beautiful streams fed by spring water crystal clear cold water coming up out of the ground, and you can drink them right out of the stream because they're perfectly pure, but yet this church was lukewarm. You see, they piped in this water from Hierapolis underground, and by the time it made it to the city of Laodicea, it was lukewarm, not good. I mean, you can drink your tea hot or you can drink it cold. I don't know how many prefer it hot. Anybody? There's a few people. All right. How many of my my southern brothers and sisters like it cold, with a lot of sugar, iced tea, and that's what you're going to order today when you go to the restaurant. I mean, but this system was riddled with problems. This, this aqueduct system, and it had a reputation for stale, stagnant, and sometimes even undrinkable, unpotable water, and it could even make you sick. And so, when Jesus says you're lukewarm, the word literally means unusable or barren, good for nothing. And when a church is complacent, it becomes useless for God's glory. If you have no passion about anything, then you have no purpose, no purpose whatsoever. And so what does the Lord Jesus say? He says, I will spit you out. The Greek word literally means vomit. Now, we don't like to talk about that because it's pretty disgusting. And no one likes to vomit. No one enjoys that at all. It's disgusting, right? To even think about it. But this is literally what the Lord says, that he's going to vomit us out of his mouth. You know, I I made a covenant with my body some years ago that I would never vomit again because it's so horrible. But when Jesus looks at a church that has grown complacent and has decided that the work that Jesus did on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection isn't worth getting excited about, that makes Jesus sick. Now, not like literally sick, but you know how you say this. I'm sick of it. I'm sick and tired of that. Jesus looks at that church and he says, I'm getting sick of that. And so lukewarm Christianity, a complacent attitude, spiritual indifference makes you useless for God's kingdom. Many Christians are like this church today. They're happy with where they are. They have no desire to change, to grow, or to be useful for the king. Let me say this word about change for just a minute. Change is inevitable. It's going to happen one way or the other. Either we're going to change for the better, or we're going to change for the worse. I think about Faraday's terrible water system whenever I lived there. I have a picture somewhere on the internet I'm not on Facebook as much anymore, so I, I did get on Facebook and like a few of you, you know, telling me happy birthday though. So thank you for that. If I didn't like your post, I'm sorry. Thank you for telling me happy birthday. I appreciate that so much. But I'm just not on Facebook as much anymore. But somewhere on Facebook, there's floating around a picture of my bathtub whenever I was in Faraday, Louisiana, because I I filled the bathtub, and it was brown like disgusting brown. I don't. I can't even, like rusty color kind of brown. And I said, well, I'm going to drain it, try again. I drained it, and the brown stuck to the tub. So I took a picture of it, hoping that uh, some of my city officials would see that that post so that they'd fix this water problem. They knew they had a bad water problem. I posted that, and my buddy from William Carey said, yeah, right, Josh, that's just what it looks like when you get out of the bathtub. That's it. Yeah, but it was so bad Then what they did was they were piping water out of the old Mississippi River. I mean, it was basically an oxbow part of the Mississippi River, still somewhat connected to the Mississippi River. And it was full of sludge and slime. And they were putting that through the system into people's homes and expecting us to live with that water. Well, needless to say, we bottled our we got bottled water and brought it in. We never drank that; it was useless. It wasn't fit to drink. I read somewhere this week also that the officials over there in West Palestine, Ohio, uh, that they went to visit a lady in her home, and they were making claiming that uh, that everything was safe and everything was good, and so she went over to her tap with a glass of water and opened up the tap and filled up a couple of glasses of water to hand to the city officials. Now, to their credit, they drank the water. They stood by their lie. <laughs> okay, that's another subject. <clears throat> but I want you to hear this, though. I want going to listen to what he says. Even though they're useless for the kingdom in their state, in the state that they are, Jesus says, I will spit you. He doesn't say, I have spit you. There's a future tense here. And in other words, it's a lot like a a mom or dad saying, I'm about to deal with you. I'm going to count to three. I hate that, but people do that. He says, I'm about to, or I'm fixing to. Y'all know what that means? I'm fixing to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, Jesus hasn't given up on the church yet. There's still time for this church to turn it around. And it's God's intention that they will be corrected rather than rejected. And that's what He wants. And that's the complaint. But here is the condition. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and abhor the new. And like water, complacent people... Follow the easiest course, which is downhill, right? That's which way water flows, right? Downhill. And Laodicea was downhill from Hierapolis, the hot springs. We can't draw false strength from looking back. Listen to what they say. I mean, they say I am rich. Well, the richest city in Phrygia was Laodicea. But yet, it was the most spiritually poor church on the map. They said, I have prospered. But the, the church had grown. But guess what? It was beginning to die and dwindle. They said, I need nothing. And they had forgotten their spiritual need for the Lord. You know, they, there was an earthquake in Laodicea around A.D. 17. And that city was so rich... They said, we don't want imperial help. We don't want the help of Rome. We're just going to rebuild our city ourselves. Because we don't want Rome in our business. We're rich enough. We'll just rebuild our own city. And guess what? They built it back twice what it was. With their own money. And so they were able to say to Rome, we don't need you. And for some of us, the Lord has given us so much and blessed us so much. For some of us, the devil has caused us to take the blessing of God and then turn around and say to God, we don't need you. It's rough. Because this is what the Lord Jesus says. The deception is, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. But the truth is, you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. They were pathetic Inferior and inadequate. They were miserable, sad, and to be pitied. Their material wealth had blinded them to their spiritual poverty, and they were blind and naked, which is a symbol of shame and sin. Complacency and indifference makes you blind to your own spiritual need. You and I, we all need the Lord daily. Am I still Am I still there? I feel like I keep going in and out. Can you hear me? Okay. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep preaching no matter what. If I have to yell, I'll yell. The Bible teaches us that we are all morally depraved. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short. Of the glory of God. That's you and that's me. In other words, when we see that picture of that wretched soul, and and, and it refers even to the church as as a body of people that are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. When we see that, we see an image of ourselves without Jesus. That's exactly the way we all are. There's not a one of us that could stand before God and say, Here I am. I deserve to be here because I'm good. I earned it. Not a one. No, not one. There's none of us righteous. And Paul goes on to tell Timothy that the the world's going to continue to get even worse before the last days. In 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times come for men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. I want you to time out for just a second. Can you think of a single person? Who would ever admit to that type of character? Anybody? Is there somebody that would say, That's me? Anybody that you know? Any church people that you know? And what Paul is saying is, This is the way people are in the last days. Even though we'd not admit it, because none of us are going to admit that we have that kind of spiritual depravity within us. But notice what they love. just highlight these for just a second. For men will be lovers of self. We love ourselves rather than lovers of God. Lovers of money rather than loving God. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, lovers of pleasure. When you think about if we were to list the passions of people today, list what people are really excited about. What do they get excited about? Well, sports, football, right? recreation fishing i get excited about fishing the other day i hooked up with a bridge monster i have absolutely no idea what was down there it nearly yanked the pole out of my hand pulled my boat over sideways and i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna get that fish one day because i lost him he snapped my line but he's still out there. He's going to get it one day. People are passionate about themselves. I mean, we live in a selfie culture today. You know, and get that right angle, you know, that looks my best side and all that stuff. Lovers of self. Man, lovers of money, he says. What was wrong with this church was that they put their love on the wrong things. It wasn't that they were a loveless church. They weren't beat down and backed into a corner, like the first church on the list. They were the church that loved the wrong things. Corey Tim Boone said, You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And sometimes for us. What God has to do is He has to strip all of those things away so that we'll see that we need Him. You know, that happened right after Katrina in First Baptist Church, Delisle. I went down there after Katrina inspecting houses, and this was on their sign. It said, you may need to lose everything to find God is all you need. Now you think about that church. Delisle, past Christiane. Everything got wiped away during Katrina. But guess what? That church is still there, and those people still love Jesus, and they love Jesus even more because they lost everything. And so for us, what we're called to do is admit that we need him more than anything else. You need him more than you need money in your bank account, folks. You need him more than you need for your team to win. You need him more than you need to catch that bridge monster. You need more than you need. You need him more than you need your personal time or your personal freedom. And most of all, you need him to cure you of the disease of sin. You, you, and I, without Jesus, we're just like the Laodicean church. We're sin sick, and Jesus is the cure. And so we see the complaint, we see the condition, and now here's the cure. Look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy gold from me, refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. When you think about what Jesus is telling the church, he's saying, come to me. They were accustomed to going out and buying all of these things that Jesus is talking about. When you think about the church, the, the, the church is living in the wealthiest city in Asia Minor. The banking center of the Roman world was right there. They had riches untold, but they were spiritually poor. And what Jesus is saying is, leave the bank of the world and come to me. Leave the riches and the... And the fortunes and the fame and all of the power and everything that the world offers and come to me. There has to be a sacrifice in order for that to happen. You've got to decide that Jesus is more important than anything else. And so I'm going to forsake the things of the world and I'm going to take Jesus. And Jesus is all I need. And if you'll do that, you will cure yourself of spiritual poverty. Go into Jesus. And then he goes on to say to buy white garments and, and this particular city was the center not only of the banking industry, but also the textile industry because they had this, these black sheep there that lived there that were native to that area. And they produced the finest black wool that you could possibly buy. Cashmere blankets, just beautiful, beautiful textile. And and they had prospered because of it. But Jesus is saying that you can't cover your sin, no matter what, how beautiful you dress on the outside, no matter how pretty you paint your face in the morning, you cannot, you could never cover your sin on your own. So he says to them, forsake trying to cover it up yourself, and come to me, and I'll clean you up. I'll give you white garments. That represents spiritual purity, righteousness. I'll give you those. And then the salve for the eyes. Now, Laodicea was also known for this medicinal salve that they put on their eyes to help them see. And Jesus says, come to me and receive that ointment for your eye so that you can have spiritual insight the knowledge of the things of God, the Holy Spirit to guide us. The cure for this this condition that we have of complacency is total commitment to Christ. Is to sell everything else and buy Jesus. Now I want you to understand this. Coming to Jesus doesn't cost you anything. Because you can come to Jesus and Jesus is going to receive you just as you are. But discipleship is going to cost you everything. To follow Jesus is going to mean that you leave all of that behind. But the willingness to just turn to Jesus is all He's wanting. He wants your heart. He wants you to sell out. He wants you to tell Him, I surrender all. It all belongs to you. Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I read an excerpt out of uh, Ronald Meredith's book, Hurrying Big for Little Reasons. And he describes one quiet night in early spring. He said this Suddenly, out of the night, came the sound of wild geese flying. I ran to the house and breathlessly announced the excitement I felt. What is to compare with wild geese across the moon? It might have ended there, except for the sight of our tame mallards on the pond. They heard the wild call they had once known. The honking out of the night sent little arrows of prompting deep into their wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response. The urge to fly to take their place in the sky for which God made them was sounding in their feathered breasts. But they never raised from the water. The matter had been settled long ago. The corn of the barn I'm uncomfortable. Temptation is always enjoyed at the price of losing the capacity of flight. And whenever we become complacent, we're going to sit like ducks on a pond and be useless. But there's the call. Look at the call with me in verses 19 and following. He says, those whom I love, I reprove. If you can come to church and feel better about yourself week in and week out, you're not going to the right church. I didn't get any amens on that. If you can come to church week in and week out, and every time you go away feeling better about yourself, You are in the wrong church. What does the Lord say? The Lord says, I reprove those I love. What does that mean? He's going to point out what's wrong within us. And this is what His Word does. And this is what He wants to do for the church today. The church that's complacent. The church that's living in yesteryears. And not willing to serve the Lord right now with gladness where they are. The Lord Jesus says, I reprove you. And that word literally means I point out where you are wrong. That's what that means. A good preacher is not going to stand in the pulpit and tell you all the ways that you're good and of yourself that you're, you can, you know you can live your best life now, and if you'll just give a little bit of money in the offering plate, it's all going to go well with you. And by the way, you're wonderfully made. And. and None of those things necessarily are wrong. I think some of them are. But none of them are necessarily wrong. But the Lord Jesus is going to prod us sometimes. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says that we should even prod one another sometimes. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. In the old King James it says... Spurring one another on. Like, yeah, like a spur in the side of the How many of you want to come to church and get spurred? Anybody? But this is what the Word of God does for us. Why? Because He loves us. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us that, that we should not uh, take lightly the discipline of God because He reproves the Son that He loves Like a good father. And so he says, I love those I reprove." So he's going to kick us whenever we get complacent. When we won't go, he's going to kick us. Then he says, be zealous and repent. The word zeal is fervor and passion. Get serious about it. Don't be casual about your Christianity, but take what Jesus did for you seriously. Serious enough that it will change the way that you live, and it will change the way you walk, to change the way you talk, so that the people around you see Jesus living in you. Do you think Jesus was casual about what He had to do for us? Not at all. Now, Jesus was joyful. And Jesus was a pleasure to be around but he was serious about the cross. You better believe he was serious about the cross. How serious are you about Jesus? And then he goes on to say, not only be zealous and repent, turn away from this sin of complacency. Don't be lukewarm anymore. He he goes on to say, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Christ personally calls every person to trust him deeper every single day, to let him in. And nearness to Jesus is the absolute cure for complacency, it's growing deeper in your walk. So called Christians avoid walking with the Lord, we avoid it like the plague. We wake up in the morning and the Bible's on the shelf and we do everything we could possibly do to avoid spending time with Jesus. We allow interruptions into our life and we welcome interruptions in our life. We run to the phone to to check the messages or to check the weather. We turn the television on or we get into a conversation so we can avoid talking to Jesus, which leads to complacency. Do that because I know I'm going in and out. I'm distraction. Can you hear me now? The simple fact is that without that deep walk with Christ, you and I are going to be useless and we'll neglect our purpose. And there's a lot of people today that are fooling themselves, they're not walking with Christ. But they're they're going to get real passionate one day. There's going to be a day whenever they really get passionate. They're going to fall on their knees and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. You know what Jesus is going to say to them? If you never spent time with Jesus, you never walked with Jesus, he's going to say this, I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness so it's time to decide. And Jesus is calling every single one of us. And maybe some of you today, the Lord is kind of prodding you today. And He's saying, you're not walking with me. You've gotten complacent and you're living in what you used to do and you're not serving me today. And it's time to decide. And there's others maybe that the Lord is telling you, you know, you've heard the truth over and over, but you haven't decided yet. You're kind of riding the fence about this thing. Guess what happens if you ride the fence? You get splinters in the rear end when you ride the fence. Elijah would say, How long would you go on limping between two opinions? Either the Lord is Lord or He's not. And if he's knocking on the door of your heart, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will eat with him and he with me. In other words, I'll have that close communion with you if you will be willing. And then he goes on to say, the one who conquers... I will grant with him to sit with me on the throne. See, nearness to Jesus here on this earth, knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus here on this earth, results in sitting on the throne with Jesus whenever he comes in his kingdom. And he says, Just as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, What is he saying to you today? He's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's called you not to just be a pew warmer, but a participant. Someone who lives for the kingdom of God. Where's your passion? If you'll take your passion, take your heart, And you'll give it to Jesus. He'll give you a greater purpose than you could ever imagine. He'll let you be a part of something great. Something that will last forever because all of the things of the world are going to fade. All the riches of Laodicea. All of the textile industry of Laodicea. All of the medicinal advancements of Laodicea. They're all going to fade one day. But what will last is every investment that you've ever made for the kingdom. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you this morning, are you a lukewarm Christian? Have you grown complacent in your walk with Jesus? Have you laid aside the things of God so that you could take up the things of the world? And if that's you, I hope that you feel the prodding of Jesus. I hope you feel him spurring you today, saying to you, get up. We've got work to do. There's no time for retirement as a Christian. You don't get to retire. You're called to the kingdom work today. If that's you, he's calling you to repent. And today, if you've been riding the fence about Jesus, and you you really don't know, you're neither hot or cold. But here today, you've experienced His presence. You know that He's real. And He's saying to you, I am the one who died for you on the cross to save you from your sin because you will never enter the presence of a holy God without my blood. if you hear Him saying that to you today, He is calling you. To put your faith and your trust in him for salvation. And it's as simple as saying a simple prayer to him. A prayer that reveals your heart. Admits your sin. Asks him to forgive you. And he'll hear that prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer. And I want to lead it today. If you just pray this prayer in your heart. Pray it silently before the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong and I have failed to do things that I know are the right thing. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life. And Jesus, you died in my place on the cross so that I could be forgiven. So right now, I ask you to forgive me. Make me a new person. Come into my heart. I give you my life. Take me and use, you, use me. Thank you for my salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're about to enter into our time of invitation where we'll sing a song. And during this song, this is your opportunity to follow through with the prayer that you just prayed. If you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you come. This is our invitation for you to come and let it be known that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. We want to offer you resources so you can grow. We want to... Get you plugged into a Bible study and we want to offer you believers baptism to seal that deal. If you need prayer, our prayer counselors will be coming forward and they'll be glad to pray with you. If you just, if you're a Christian and you've just grown complacent, take this time to spend it with Jesus and draw near to him. And if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you and he'll ignite a fire in your heart that can't be extinguished. And so you take this time. Take this invitation and use it for the glory of God.